The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, if you happen to bring a Bible this morning, um, like every single week, we're going to be in the Bible. I'm going to open it up for just a few minutes. You can turn it to the very first page of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to walk through a few pages together this morning. Hey, how many of you guys seen a good movie this summer? Have you already seen a good movie? Have you seen one? Last service, everybody's raising hands left and right. My wife and I and our kids this week saw Incredibles 2. Anybody seen Incredibles 2? Have you seen it already? Somebody has seen it. Box Office Mojo told me last night, 360. $70 million in the box office the first week. That's amazing to me. Don't you love a good hero movie? Uh, I love a good hero. We saw Incredibles 1. As soon as we heard that it was coming out, we were like, yes, we're going to see Incredibles 2. Now, look, I don't want to give away the story, all right? But let me tell you what happens, all right? Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Here's what happens. It starts out great. Everything starts out great. Then it goes bad. And then the Incredibles rescue the day. And then they become one big happy family again. That's basically what happens, right? Yeah, I know, exactly. Like, you're surprised about the storyline of a hero movie, right? Like, all hero movies basically follow that same storyline. If you uh, live here in Los Angeles, you work in the entertainment industry, even if you don't, you just love movies, you understand that sort of sequence of themes and plot lines and storylines when you watch a movie. In fact, most of us love that plot line. In fact, as we read and open up the beginning pages of Scripture, some of us may be surprised to find that in the opening pages of Scripture, we find the exact same plot line. Things open up and they go really well, and then all of a sudden they turn really bad, and all of a sudden we're in need of a rescue or a hero, and then all of a sudden at the very end things turn out really, really well. And that's the way most plot lines of movies that we love end up going. Everything from Lord of the Rings to Cinderella to Beauty and the Beast. Most romantic movies go that way. Don't they sound familiar? Boy meets girl. Um, things go really good until they turn bad. And then the boy or girl, think Beauty and the Beast, rescues the situation. And then what happens? At the very end, what do they do? They ride off what? Into the sunset, happily ever after. That's the way most plot lines of stories go. Now, what I was hoping to do this morning in just a few moments, we're going to launch a brand new series here in two weeks. This is sort of a prelude to the series. We only have four weeks in that series, and so I wanted to take today to be a prelude to that series. And what I was hoping to do was just to open up the first few pages of Scripture and narrate for us this grand narrative of Scripture. I'm guessing, even though you may have been in church for a long time, maybe you're new to church, maybe you've never been to church before this morning. A lot of us know the stories of Scripture. A lot of us know some characters in the story in Scripture. But some of us, and I imagine a lot of us, probably don't fully understand the grand story of Scripture. Um, if you've heard me say before, my mother is 63 years old, just a few years ago, after watching the Bible series on TV, began to see how the entire story of Scripture fit together. And when she finally saw how the entire story of Scripture fit together, she trusted her life to Jesus. Her life was transformed. Don't we love that plot line that we often see? It starts out good. It goes bad. There's a rescue. There's a hero. And then we ride off into the sunset together. Don't you love, don't you love happy endings? Don't you like a movie like that, a happy ending? I believe the Christian would respond and say the reason why we love happy endings the reason why we love happy endings is because our hearts long for something that only the gospel as narrated in scripture, the story of God, 
tells us. Don't you find it interesting that movies that really have nothing to do with Jesus, they don't quote the Bible, they weren't written by a Christian director, there aren't Christian actors, things that seemingly have no association with Christianity. Don't you love how some of those movies and stories and songs that we listen to, don't you love how they all reflect what we see in Scripture? Well, the Christian would respond and say the reason for that is because the Bible is not primarily a book about morality. The Bible is primarily a book about reality, and the Bible tells us the way the world works. And that probably surprises some of us, because some of us know the stories in the Bible. Some of us know the characters in the Bible, and typically we know the part, but we don't know the whole. And when we know the parts, but not the whole, we read it typically in one of three ways. We read the Bible as sort of the self-help book, hey, I'm just going to become the best version of me that I can be. Or we read it as sort of this morality textbook, like these are the things you should do, these are the things you shouldn't do. Or maybe we read it as sort of this like religious, antiquated book that really has no bearing on present day reality. But the reality is we love movies and stories that speak to our deepest longings. The reason for that is because good stories, they all echo God's story. God's story as told in the grand narrative of Scripture. And when we open up the beginning pages of Genesis, just like the four plot lines of boy meets girl, things go great until they go bad, they need a rescue, and then they ride, like those four plot lines, those four plot lines are actually reflected in the first three chapters of the entire Bible. We can see that exact same narrative in the first three chapters. And my hope this morning, is to try to narrate that grand narrative to give you a perspective when you read the scripture for how all of life fits into this grand narrative. I've got an ulterior motive this morning as well, and I believe once we understand the grand narrative, it should lead those of us that are participating in the grand narrative to a greater calling in our life. Now, Genesis chapter 1, I want to open up the scene of the movie of the story of God, starting in Genesis 1. Verse 27. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'd love to give you one after the service. The words are going to be on the screen. And this is what the scripture says. The opening scene in the movie of the story of God. And so God created mankind in his own image. This is the introduction. This is the exposition. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, now listen, if you have a Bible, I want you to underline a few words this morning. I think it'll be important for you. If you don't have a Bible, take some notes this morning, type them in your cell phone, because I think these are going to be good for you in the future. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, this is what he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Now listen to what he says. Listen to what he says, because this is instructive for us. Fill the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 31, when he creates at the end of the opening scene, this is what God says about this beautiful, glorious opening scene. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The beginning pages of Scripture here, this opening scene in the story of God Fill humanity with the purpose for which we are created. And it's very obvious to us in verse 28 what that purpose is. That purpose, God said, was to rule. God said the purpose we were created for was to populate. But listen, more specifically, 
the purpose for which humanity was created was to fill the world, listen, with God. To fill the world with God. So God created. That's the opening scene. It's the exposition. It's this beautiful scene where everything is good and everything is perfect. And so what did God create? He created the universe, Scripture tells us. He created uh, the earth that we live on. God created humanity, and he tells us humanity fill the earth with God. And so all of these things that he created were all inspiring. They were beautiful. They were majestic. But there was one thing inside of creation that God created that was very different than everything else. It was specifically humanity. Adam and Eve, God breathed life into Adam and Eve. The scripture says they were made in his image. They were made to reflect the very character of God. And they were unlike every other created thing that God put on the earth. And they were special, and they were unique, and they were stunning in personality and reason, and they had the ability to relate to their creator. He made them to experience community. In this idea of marriage, that was the closest thing that we could experience on earth to the unity and relationship and intimacy that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, what we call in Christianity, the Trinity, experienced together themselves. And at the end of everything he created, this opening scene, don't you, don't you understand this opening scene where everything opens up and everything is wonderful? God said, it was good. Now listen to me. Everything God created worked together perfectly, just the way it was supposed to work. There was no imperfection. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no death. Listen, what God created in this opening scene was perfect love. It was perfect affection, harmony, unity between Adam and Eve, between each other, between God, between creation. It was a place of perfect peace. The Bible describes that word. It uses the word shalom. If you have a Jewish background, you understand what that means. It means what God created was at perfect peace. In creation, all things experienced perfect peace, harmony. They experienced purpose. Now listen, tomorrow morning, um, I'm headed out on a week-long vacation with my family. It's really a working vacation for me. I'm speaking at a camp. I've done it for 18 years now. I've been at camp for 18 summers in a row. And my family's hardly ever had the chance to go with me. Uh, but this summer, they're going to go with me. And I'm pumped about it. For them, it's a vacation because they're going to rest. They're going to ride. For me, it's sort of a working vacation, but it's not really working because I love it. I enjoy it. It's awesome. Let me tell you what I'm looking forward to. The same thing you look forward to when you go on vacation, right? Like you look for, by the way, how many of you guys have vacation in front of you this summer. You got a vacation coming up? How many of you guys got a vacation coming up? How many of you guys, look, I can see the smiles on your faces like, I got vacation. How many of you guys have already been on vacation? Anybody? Are, yep. Some of you guys, yes, I've already, I wish I could have another one, right? Like, you know what I'm looking forward to this week? I look forward to getting away. I look forward to a little bit of rest. I look forward to the restoration of things in life that are chaos just because of everyday life. It's the same thing you look forward to when you go on vacation as well. I look forward to some, some things being restored in my heart, in my life, in my mind, in my emotions, in my affections. I look forward to that. Do you know why I look forward to that? you know why you look forward to it when you go away on vacation? The opening scene of Scripture describes why. And the reason why is because that's why you were created. That's the way it was originally intended to be. Harmony with each other. 
Like how many days in a row does it take you to be in disharmony with people around you? How many? Like, 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 like four hours ago, like yesterday, like two minutes ago, right? Like, like, like that was what we were created for. And there's something in us that understands this opening scene in Scripture. We understand that's what I was created for. All of us have this yearning desire to be brought back to this harmony. Now listen, just like every good movie, every good movie that you create, every good movie that you watch, we understand that the goodness, this opening scene where things are perfect and amazing, we all understand it can't last that long. Um, a while back, before we moved to L.A., we were contacted by house hunters, and they asked us to audition for um, one of their shows. And so before we ever made a video, they were like, hey, just so you know, in the audition tape, we want to see some conflict. Like, we want to see where things did not go right and go well between you and your wife in the process of choosing a house. In my mind, I'm like, well, that's really not possible because my wife was like, this is the house I want. And I'm like, great, this is the house we're going to get, right? And so... <laughs> And so, and so, like every good movie, we're like, you know, the good can't just continue on forever. In fact, good movies don't just continue on with goodness forever. We all understand at some point the harmony has to be broken. That's the second narrative we find in Scripture, the second plot line we see in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, the second plot line we call the fall. We call the fall. Second, uh, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, this is what the Scripture said. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. And listen to what he said. You're free. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. This is the creation that God had established that was very good. This is all for you. And it is good. But one thing. I'm asking you this one thing, this one tree, this one activity to stay away from. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 17. For when you eat from it, listen, God's very clear. You will what? Die. Now, even if you haven't been around church, you probably are familiar with this story here. You understand that Adam and Eve took the fruit. We say apple, but we don't really know what kind of fruit it was. It could have been an avocado. Is avocado a fruit? It's not a fruit. But listen, chapter 3, verse 6, this is what happens. This is the story. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree... That it was good for food, and it was pleasing to the eye, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. Listen to what it says. So she took some, and she ate it. Now, men, don't get caught up in the fact that it was Eve that took the fruit first, right? Because in the very next words, we're implicit in the conversation, too. She also gave some to her husband. This is the beginning of the passivity of man, right? Who was with her, and he ate it. Here in verse 6. The rising action, the exposition, the introduction of everything good begins to take a dive for the worse. It all begins to go south. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, verse 7, and they realized they were naked. Now, this is obvious to us because this is the only world that we know. Like if I just walked up on stage and preached to you naked today, that would be awkward, right? That's because we understand shame. That's because we understand there's something not right about 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 you knowing the most intimate parts of us. The reason for that is found in what happened in the second plot line of Scripture called the fall. Everything began to change. So Adam and Eve, they knew they were naked, Scripture says. Listen to what they did. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Everything is good, first plot line. Everything begins to go south in the second plot line. Adam and Eve, though, 
They were created for harmony. They were created for unity with themselves. Remember this. They were created for unity with all of creation. They were created for unity with God. There's no conflict. There's no disease. You can disagree. They could disagree on Facebook with differing political opinions and still be friends. Why? Because they were created for harmony and unity. There was no disease, no war, no trouble, no hurt, no pain. This is the place of peace, perfection, harmony. It's how the world was intended to be. But now listen. In verse 6, there's one treasonous act. It changes everything, destroys everything. And now when they did the one thing that God said not to do, Adam and Eve now become insiders to evil. They now know shame. They now know manipulation. They now know bartering. They now know how to manipulate and compromise, and they know guilt, and they know secrets. And in verse 6 of chapter 3, and the second plot line, this thing that the scripture calls sin begins to infect all of humanity, all of creation that God had established. Now listen to me. This one act, this one treasonous act explains every disharmonious event that we experience on earth. It's why racism exists. It's the reason for catastrophic events in nature. It's why, because when you read about crime and evil on Facebook or wherever you get your news, it's why when you read about those difficult, evil things in our culture and our world, you immediately experience the emotions of anger. You experience the emotion of empathy and compassion and passion. And do you know why you experience those things? Because of the fall. It explains reality. Something is not the way it was supposed to be. Now, more than that. More than that, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the second plot line, describes to us not only why, why disharmony and disunity exist in the world, it also explains why we are inherently born averse to God. If you've got kids, you understand this concept. They don't come out, and they're just godly angels. They come out very, very sinful, right? This explains why that happens. This explains why we're averse to God, and why is that, Matt? because Adam and Eve, and we are full active participants in the process. It's because Adam and Eve, along with us, we traded the purpose for which we were created. We exchanged that purpose for an altogether different purpose, which is the satisfaction of our own desires. And that just doesn't happen passively. We're not victims of bad things happening to us. We are active participants in the evil that happens in this world, and we're born that way. And so Adam and Eve... The original humans exchanged this harmony that was created in the garden that God intended for their good and they exchanged it for their own desires. Now, some people would say they broke God's law. And that's true. But we probably understand it a little bit differently. Not only did they break God's law, but they created their own law. They created their own world and their own satisfaction. And the result of that is that perfect harmony becomes complete chaos. Perfect harmony becomes complete chaos when we ignore the system that God has set up and we create our own rules instead. Now, this week, our country experienced yet another opportunity to be divided. 
We have kids who are being divided from their families. Does that make you tense that I even bring that up in church? Does that make you tense? I hope it does because I'm going to make a point. So we have this event in our country where we have kids being divided from their families. And there's one side that has this perspective that they believe something is not right about the situation, but the thing they don't think is right, they believe that if people do things illegally, they should suffer the consequences from it. And then there's another side that believes and hates the perspective of that side because they believe that nothing the US, nothing that the U.S. does should ever separate kids from their families. And so we have these two sides that disagree and, hate and are hateful towards one another. Does that make you tense even just bringing that up, right? And so, but regardless of which side of this idea you fall on this morning, There's something we all innately experience about what happened this week, as we do every week when these things happen. There's something in us that says, this is not the way it should be. You may fall on one side or the other, but you still believe there is something inherently wrong. Do you know why you believe that way? Do you know why you experience that? Do you know why you feel that? The second plot line of Scripture tells us why. It's because things are broken. Because of this fall, things opened up great, but they quickly turned bad. And when they turned bad, they infected and affected the entire world. And now all of creation is in this tailspin. All of creation is in this tailspin because of sin. Now, I'm an optimist. I am a glass half full type of person. I always want to see the best in every situation. I believe the best is in front of us, not behind us. Reality of scripture tells us though, humanity and our world will never recover. We will never recover. Now listen, from this tailspin, there's a caveat, on our own. We can recover, but never recover on our own. You know this to be true in movies that you love, right? You know this to be true in movies that you love because someone or something needs to intervene in order to rescue the situation to the way it's originally intended to be. That's the third plot line of scripture that we call the rescue. We have creation, we have a fall, and then we have a rescue. The consequence of this fall, the second plot line, the second part of this narrative, the second theme in the story of God is that humanity has experienced this this fall in such a way that we have this desperate spiritual state. This desperate, hold up. You jumped the gun on me, hold on. This desperate spiritual state. We're going to watch a movie clip, you all right? And... uh, this desperate relational state, this desperate um, physical state, this desperate emotional state. And we're just as victims of these things that have happened. We're active participants in it. And scripture actually tells us we're actually the greatest threat to ourselves because we have exchanged God's purpose for our purpose. Why is that important? Because we try to play God. God said, this is why I created you. We said, God, thank you for that purpose, but I'm going to exchange it for an altogether different purpose. God, actually, what we have said is that, God, I know better than you. And so I'm going to exchange your purpose for my purpose. And we're our own worst enemies. The result is that we need to be rescued from our own destructive ways. And so how we typically respond is this. We, we try to rescue ourselves. We tidy up the house a little bit. We, we, we change some of our, our morals. We change the way we speak. We change where we go. The problem is 
is that eventually, in and of ourselves, we eventually continue to lead another path of death and destruction outside of someone who is not affected by the situation to come in and rescue the situation. Now, you love a good rescue movie, don't you? (laughs) You love a good rescue movie. So now that we've already begun to give you a sneak peek, let's watch this clip. Just where to put it. You know how the rest of that clip goes? If you've seen, how many of you guys seen Avengers? You've seen this one. Um, you know how the rest of that clip goes. So Iron Man saves the world. And in the process, though, if you didn't know the rest of the story here, Iron Man also needs to be rescued. Remember who rescued him right after this? Remember who did it? Who was it? The Hulk. Like three people. We're in Hollywood. We should know better than this, all right? So <laughs> the Hulk. The Hulk comes flying in and he rescues Iron Man. The reality is, in the similar storyline of God, we can't rescue ourselves. We need someone outside of the situation to rescue us. And that's where the third plot line of Scripture comes in. It's the rescue. And God makes a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is what he says. He's talking to the snake. He's talking to the one that deceived Adam and Eve. Specifically, that person is Satan. And God speaks directly to him for deceiving Adam and Eve. And this is what God says to Satan. God says, and I will put enmity. In other words, I will put hostility. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. God's already foreshadowing that humanity is going to bear a child that will be unique in um, in, in only its unique way. And between your offspring and hers, and this is how God finishes his statement to Satan. And he will crush your head. You know what happens when you crush a snake's head? It dies. But then God says, but you will bite his heel. God makes a promise here. This is the first Illustration. This is the first moment that we see God begins to unveil. Hey, I've got a plan here, even though it was all good, it went bad. I've got a plan to get us back to the way it was originally intended to be. 
And what we know is that offspring would have to come in a very unique way, outside of the normal course of history and humanity. Because if he comes in the normal course of history and humanity, he's just like us. Now, different from the Avengers and most hero movies that we love and most hero movies that we know. In the Avengers, we need someone with brute strength that could come in and overpower the situation. The scriptures say God's rescue plan was altogether different. And that's where the story of God departs from the narratives and the storylines of some of the greatest movies that we love. God did not come in strength. God did not come in political power, even though people were expecting the rescuer to be so. The scripture says the rescuer, his name was Jesus, outside of the normal course of history. Jesus came in meekness. He came in humility And the scriptures say he finished the rescue mission by dying on an ordinary wooden cross. And so God came to rescue humanity. And so Adam and Eve and the rest of us, it wasn't just Adam and Eve's fault. They set this in motion, but we participate in it on a daily basis. Adam and Eve and then the rest of us, we exchanged God's purpose, remember? For our own purpose. You know what God says in his rescue plan? I'm going to make it possible for that exchange to be reversed. You can exchange what you intended for bad. You can exchange that sin back for the original intent for which I created you. The rescue plan would allow us to exchange our sin for God's goodness. The Bible calls it his righteousness. To be returned to the original purpose for which we were created to be. And so Jesus would come and he would die for humanity on a cross. And he would rescue humanity from our sin. Why? To make it possible for humanity to be back in harmony, restored with God and with each other. But listen to me just for a moment. We don't experience that full restoration in this moment. At the end of most Disney movies, they ride off into the sunset We never hear from them again. We just assume it's all good after that. There's that moment in the storyline of God, but it's a future moment. But listen, this idea of restoration, which is the fourth plot line, the scripture would also use a word called redemption. But in the age of Chip and Joanna Gaines and Magnolia Farms, restoration seems like a more understandable word. God's initiating this process of restoring things. Don't you love watching those shows? If you've ever watched them, you still get the concept. This old, dirty, ratty, torn down house. They come in and renew it, repair it, replace some boards, do some, put granite counter. And all of a sudden at the end of the show, boom, they've restored something that was once ugly and forgotten into something beautiful. And that's the process that God is initiating. That's the process that God has intended. You know, we love good endings. Don't you love a good ending? You love watching that show. This thing was an all, I would never live in this house. I wouldn't even live next, I wouldn't live in the same neighborhood as this house. But then we love to see how beautiful. Hey, baby, you got to come in here and see. This is unbelievable. This is amazing. This is, look what Chip and Joanna gained. This is awesome. We love good endings. Do you know why? Do you know why we love good endings? Listen to me. Because deep down, deep down, that's what our souls are created for. That's what we were created for. That's what our souls 
long for. We weren't made to live in chaos and destruction. We were made to live for something more. Can I tell you something? You know why I know that? Those longings go all the way back to the first plot line. Those longings go all the way back to the garden. Those longings go all the way back to the introduction. Those longings were settled. They were settled when the earth was established. Now, can I say to you, God's in process of setting things straight. He's in motion. His plan is in motion of bringing us back to the way it was originally intended to be. Now, listen, we're not fully there yet. There will be a day when it all is wrapped up. God's plan is fully unfolded. We return back to the garden. But listen to me, until then, God's given us the privilege of seeing glimpses of it, glimpses of restoration. How do we know that? Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Remember, Adam and Eve did what God said not to do. They made their own rules. Perfect harmony became complete chaos. God establishes a rescue plan. But what happened when they created their own rules is now they experience shame. I didn't know I was naked before, but now I know. God's response is not just a rescue. Listen, it's a restoration. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. This is what the scripture says. The Lord God, he made garments for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. Now, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, all the way to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, the last verse of the Bible. You know what we experience? We experience the rescue and restoration plan of God. That's the plot line we're living in. All of us. And one day, that full restoration will mean we're restored spiritually. There's no enmity. There's no hostility between us and God. We're restored relationally. There's no more disharmony and disunity between us and others. We're restored emotionally, perfect peace and love and joy. We're restored physically. We're restored physically. Our bodies, our bodies want to experience the pain and suffering. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, morally, every people group, every race will be in existence. They will live together in perfect harmony. Now listen to me. All of humanity is barreling towards this massive reset. All of it. And we're living in it. We're living in this massive reset that God has established. Now, can I close and say to you this morning, I want to talk to two people. If you're a believer here this morning, what I mean by that is Christ has rescued you from your sin. You've processed and understood that what Christ did on the cross was satisfaction for the disharmony and disunity you created in your life because of your sin, and you trusted what Christ did on the cross for that reset in your life. Scripture says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Turn from your sin, walk with God. Scripture says, not that you can be, ought to be, it says you will be saved. You will be rescued. There's nothing magical or mystical about that. And if you've been rescued this morning, can I speak to you just for a moment and then we're done. If you've been rescued, you have the privilege, the opportunity, (laughs) 
the opportunity to live in this final plot line, the restoration, the redemption, the restoring of all things. We won't fully ever get there until God finally does it. But now we have the privilege and the opportunity. And I know, I know there's some stories in our church of people who are doing that actively, daily. I had a conversation with someone by text last night who is actively participating in the restoration of broken things. But if you're a believer here this morning and you're not actively participating in the restoration, you're missing out on an incredible opportunity, an exciting part of this story of God that God gives you the privilege to participate in. Now, where do you go with that, Pastor? Well, here's where I go. That's one of the reasons why we even created Better Together LA Weekend. We say we want to own the neighborhood. Wherever a Christian story, a story city lives, there should be a tangible, visible Jesus presence. We have three days to say to our city, and by the way, this should be an ongoing part of our process, but we oftentimes offer corporate opportunities for our church to express it corporately. We want to look at a city and say, we believe the best for the city. There is more to life. You weren't created for this. If you're a believer here this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to beg you to be a participant in that weekend. It's a part of the restoration plan of God. Now, I'm going to close. What if you've never been rescued from your sin? I don't take for granted in a room of people like this and at the first service, that there are people who walk into a church service and we are so honored you're here. Maybe you come into a church service and you just, you just, you just, God may have been neutral to you. He may be whatever you consider, but you just, you can, no, I've never been rescued from my sin. Today, can I ask you to allow God to do that for you? You just bow your head, close your eyes. We're gonna close with a song and communion here and we're gonna be done. Before we get there, can I just say to you, if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, you acknowledge, God, I've participated in this process of disharmony and disunity. The scripture calls it sin. Jesus, today, I believe and acknowledge that what you did on the cross, you rescued me. You gave me the opportunity to be rescued from my sin. Jesus, I trust what you did for me, and I live my life. I walk with you the rest of my life because of that. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, never been rescued. Can I beg you right where you're seated to have a conversation with God? Say, God, I need to be rescued today. I need to be saved today. Would you transform me? Would you save me? If that's you this morning, as we stand up and sing, I want to encourage you just to have a moment with the Lord and voice that to Him. After the service is over, there's a table outside in the lobby called the Connect Table. I would love for you to stop by there. Take a Connect card. At the bottom of that Connect card, it says, I've trusted my life to Jesus today. If you fill that out, check that out. Tomorrow, one of our staff members is going to follow up with you and help you begin to walk with God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for today. God, your words are so powerful. God, thank you that you've not just given us a book to tidy things up and figure things out, not just given us a book that some may think is irrelevant. God, you've given us a book about reality. God, I pray that reality would influence us if we have been rescued and been saved to live in the restoration of all things, Lord. God, I pray for people in this room who don't know you, God. May the Spirit of God speak deeply to them in this moment where they have an honest conversation with you, confess their sins, and ask you to save them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to walk into a time of communion now. 
Communion is reserved for those who have been rescued, those who have been saved. It's honestly a time for us to remember the rescuer, to remember the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed. We have a moment where we can say, God, thank you for what you've done. We can confess our current sins and say, God, please forgive me. Restore us back into a right relationship with you. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, I'm so glad you're here. We're so honored you're here. Can I just ask you during this time, just to refrain from the communion tables, this is the moment for those who call Jesus their own. You can sit there in a moment of quiet reflection and prayer. Down front, there's two tables. Up top, there's a table that's gluten-free. There's a table for you. Jesus, I pray that we would remember this morning. God, you would recall to our memories the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. When we didn't deserve it, God, you were still good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.